Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Once again, the Hangtime Podcast crew, Sekou Smith, um, not in Atlanta this time. Parts are unknown. My main man, Lang Whitaker, in New York. Yo. And our special guest this week, no no sense in wasting time, his time, ours, or anyone else's. Howard Beck of Bleacher Report joining us to break down the NBA playoff chase. Bex, how are you, sir? What's going on, guys? How you doing? We're good. We're good. We're better than uh, Lance Stevenson, obviously. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm still trying to figure out I think he's doing all right. No, I'm just saying I'm still trying to figure out why that was such a freaking big deal. I mean, you know, it, it, so he took a bad shot at the end of a game. Who cares? Well, he had the right response. I don't know if you saw his Instagram post where <laughs> yeah. he, found, he found the clip of Norman Powell of the Raptors doing a windmill dunk when they were up 25 at the end of a game. So I, I, to me, <laughs> layup, layup's not as bad as a dunk. But this Good is point. also why we need Lance. This is also why we need Lance in the league. Lance provides uh, entertainment. Uh, outside of just the usual points, rebounds, assists, or whatever, he gives us something else to talk about. He he, he makes it a, a show. I'm 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 good with that. I agree. Yes. I'm, I am. I'm, I'm, we talked about this last week. I'm fully anti the fun police, and I think Lance <laughs> Lance is like a, a he's on my side in that battle. Yes, he's definitely uh, rolling with you on that one. Max, the last time you were on with us, it was the second week of the season, so it only makes sense to have you on on the second to last week of the regular season to, to kind of dive into what the heck is going on right now in the Eastern Conference. Cleveland remains number one, even though they've played tug-of-war with that number one spot here lately with Boston. When you look at it, what they're doing right now, uh, do you feel like Le- LeBron is locked in? It's playoff mode time? Well, that was the, my main takeaway last night was – and nothing to do with Boston at all. But last night, my, my first impression was, wow, hey, it's playoff LeBron. Um, LeBron's <laughs> not messing around. LeBron's not messing around. Like, they've gone through a really difficult stretch here. They've had injuries. They've had new players coming and going. Um, they've played just like crud. They've just, you know, it's been one of these weird uh, periods. Of, but they go through these. The Cavs do this it's seemingly every season. This one was a little more alarming because of how just profoundly awful their defense has been, and you started to wonder if maybe they just kind of lost what made them great, even though the core players are all still there. And last night was a reminder that when LeBron is locked in and at his best, uh, and when everybody's on the same page there and healthy, which 
significantly, you know, like that, that's a significant consideration this season for them, given what they've gone through with Love and J.R. Smith and others, that this is still by far the most talented team in the Eastern Conference. And there's a reason why they were the overwhelming favorites to repeat and why even in the face of, you know, I know the hideous defensive numbers and all the history tells us that you can't be, you know, in the, the, the bottom tier defensively um, and make, you know, make it to the finals or win a championship. They may just defy that. I don't know if the so-called switch has been flipped and if we should base it just on these last four games or last night's beatdown of Boston. But that certainly looked like the Cavs team that won the championship last season. And, you know, they still got concerns because now Tristan Thompson's out with a thumb injury and they just don't have a lot of big man depth. But, um, but that was LeBron James putting his foot down, and that was, that was fun to see. I'm still not completely comfortable with, like, the concept of J.R. Smith being the defensive stopper that they were needing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and he, I, I mean, the one good thing with the Tristan Thompson thing is that they don't have a lot of big man depth. I, I don't know if they need a lot of big man depth to get through the, the playoffs. Um, but but the the whole thing with, you know, now J.R.'s back, and they do look much better defensively, but it's still strange to me, and probably you too, Howard, having been through the J.R. Smith era here with the Knicks, for, for J.R. Smith to have become the defensive uh, stopper that the Cavs were missing. Well, I mean, he emerged last season, I thought, as being a, you know, a, a very good, valuable you know, sure. defender uh, for them. And so, okay, you know, it, it, that, he's got the capability now um, that when he's healthy and locked in, you know, the new J.R. Smith, much improved over the old New York Knicks or Denver Nuggets or New Orleans J.R. Smith, um, it, it, is, it is a strange thing. But it's not just that. It's that you need at least a couple of guys who are setting the tone there, and LeBron does it. And then you need a couple of guys to come along with you so that everybody is is up at that same intensity level. I think they've probably you know started to tweak their schemes a little bit too, so that they're they're going to really lock in on a guy like Isaiah Thomas and try to bottle him up and, and, and make a team beat them other ways. Right. They're you know it's not just about Jr. being back. It's also about you know Kevin Love getting his legs back under because he hadn't looked very good since his mm-hmm. return. And I am concerned a little bit about their their big man depth because. Look, uh, Jonas Valanciunas, Marcin Gortat, they're not Patrick Ewing and Akeem Olajuwon. I get that. But they are big, They are big, strong bodies who can do some damage in the paint and on the move. And all they've got is Tristan Thompson and Channing Frye, really. Yeah. Um, they don't have Mozgov to go out there and bang for a while and then have you know, Thompson come in and anchor the small ball lineups. They're, they're starting small ball. And there's there's no other place to turn because they you know they tried Chris Anderson and he ended up with a season-ending injury and they tried Andrew Bogut they ended up with a season-ending injury so this is not clearly what they intended they wanted to have another big body and I right. I, I don't think it's crazy to think that they might need that um, somewhere along the way yeah I, I feel like LeBron is playing us as always like you know <laughs> we get all caught up in his drama and. You know, it's the subtweeting and trying to figure out what he means by this. And he wore a do rag after a game. Oh, he wore a hat after. <laughs> why do we? Why do we keep getting pulled into this trap with LeBron? When he, he said it the other night, he's not the guy to talk to about regular season games because he's he's been through this year after year, and his team keeps making it to the finals. This is just a part of his process, isn't it? I mean, yes and no. I mean, it's it's certainly um, 
I mean, he's right to say that uh, he's not concerned about regular season games in the big picture because, yes, he's going for his seventh straight finals, which hasn't been talked about enough, by the way, in this season mm-hmm. of all these other eye-popping numerical achievements. We haven't talked enough the last couple of years, frankly, about what LeBron's pulling off with two different teams to dominate for one player to dominate a conference for this stretch of time is is just incredible. So does that mean that he's going to give you full, you know, LeBron for 82 games a season? No, but, you know, most superstars who are going for repeated finals aren't at their peak for, all, you know, the entire regular season. The question has been more about the other guys. Like, LeBron needs to let up off the gas occasionally because he's 32 years old now, and he's got, you know, a ton of miles on him. But Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson, I mean, people keep talking about how old this team is. I, I mean, I get that they're old in spots because they've got guys like Richard Jefferson in the rotation, but Tristan Thompson's not old, and J.R. Smith's not that old, and Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving are not old. And yeah. so it's the young guys who I feel like you know are creating the drama by not being the ones who are locked in all the time. LeBron's still got too much burden on him because every time he sits, they slip. And when he doesn't play, <laughs> they lose. I, I'm wondering, like, just looking in the East at these other, looking past the Cavs, basically. I watched what? some of that Toronto. <laughs> I watched some of that Toronto game last night, and uh, with Lowry back, I mean, they're back into the number three spot. They, they look pretty good. Are we kind of overlooking the Raptors a little bit? I mean, the conversation the last couple of weeks has just been Cleveland, Boston. What about Toronto? Yeah, it's funny, people. I don't know if it's the Celtic mystique or if it's the Brad Stevens effect or maybe it's the Isaiah Thomas effect. People, I feel like, are kind of overly uh, invested in the idea of the Celtics being the main rival, whether it's based on the standings or whatever. This is a team that hasn't won a playoff series since, you know, the Pearson Garnett and and the Ray Allen era. (laughs) Um, and, And granted, Toronto, you know, they made the conference finals last year. They don't have a ton of track record beyond that. Uh, and Washington doesn't have a great season track record either of late. But I don't understand why Boston has been the team that everybody is kind of fixated on. Uh, to me, from the moment the Raptors acquired Serge Ibaka and P.J. Tucker before the deadline, yeah. that to me meant that they were absolutely on paper the best equipped to take down the Cavs if the Cavs aren't at full straight. I still think the Cavaliers have the best talent. But Toronto, with their combination of scoring punch, uh, versatility, be able to go small, go big, switchability on defense, depth of their bench, like all the, the boxes you would probably want to check. Um, I, I think they get more of them than certainly Boston does or than the Wizards do. Uh, so to me, if I'm ranking those three teams in terms of their, their you know, most likely to um, give the Cavs a, a run, it's Toronto first. Um, Washington and Boston is kind of a coin flip, but I actually lean Washington on that one too because Wall, Beal, and Porter are, are yeah. looking great. Um, yeah. I, Boston beyond Isaiah, they're going to be nice when they they struggle to score. I yeah. agree with you. I mean, I, I think Saquon and I might have talked about this before, but to me, the Boston kind of reminds me of that sixty win Hawks team a couple of years ago in the sense that on <laughs> any given on any given night they're going to come fully prepared and, and they can beat any team on any night. But when you play them five times in a row or six times in a row, whatever yeah. it is, um, you know, with Boston, if you can stop Isaiah Thomas, then, and that's easier said than done. But if you stop him, that kind of cuts the head off the snake. And some of these other teams, you know, like you mentioned Beal and Porter and, and, you know, Lowry or DeRozan, whoever's the second option, they have more options available to them offensively. And I think for, 
for Toronto, I think that sets up a little better for them than, than some of these other teams in the East. Yeah, I agree. And again, with, with you know, a team like Toronto, say, you know, you've got this one-two punch in the backcourt. Now you're making Kyrie Irving actually work on defense, which Kyrie Irving doesn't want to have to do. <laughs> um, so you, you, you're hitting them at, at a, a bit of a weak point there defensively. You've got Jonas Valanciunas, who, again, not a chemo one, but Jonas Valanciunas <laughs> has, has some scoring ability in the paint. And now you're making Tristan Thompson work. And you've got P.J. Tucker and Damari Carroll, a couple other guys who you can throw at LeBron and wrestle with LeBron. Again, no one's going to stop LeBron. But you need guys who are capable of at least making him work and getting physical with him and trying to wear him down. So Toronto can do those things in a way that, you know, now Boston certainly can, can wrestle with you. They've got, they've got yeah. you, know, you know, Jay Crowder, and they've got Avery Bradley to go chase the guards. They've got that, some of that ability, but not the same amount of depth as Toronto and certainly not the same ability uh, to put you on your heels with their scoring punch. Like, Boston can't do that. And if you do cut the head off the snake in Isaiah Thomas, where are they going to, to, for their offense? Right. Hey, and if if uh, if Alan Tunis is Akeem Olajuwon, who does that make PJ Tucker? Is he like uh, Mario Eli? Oh, stop! I, 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 <laughs> uh, he's 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 Robert Ory. Shout out to Rob. Don't ever don't ever say Valentunis and Olajuwon in the same sentence again, like I'm going to choke you if you do that. How uh, Akeem Olajuwon finished his career in Toronto. <laughs> That's right. L- listen, the 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 top of the Eastern Conference is one thing. The bottom. The bottom, basically five teams chasing four spots. Who's the most dangerous of that bunch, in your opinion, Howard? I, I think it's Milwaukee, um, just just to my mind's eye, in terms of a team that could scare somebody. But who do you think of those those five teams chasing those last four spots strikes you as the one capable of creating a, a stir in the, in the playoffs? No, I, I do think it's Milwaukee. Uh, the way that they've played ever since Chris Milton got back in the mix, and you know, a, a key guy on, on both ends of the court for them. And you know, Giannis is you know a, 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 a just a force of nature. So I, I like the Bucks a lot. They are young. Young teams don't generally make a lot of noise in the playoffs. They got you know you got to take your lumps and, and kind of find your way through it. And you know, I, I don't know what we'll see from that team. I mean, they've been starting two rookies with with. Thon Maker and, and, and Brogdon, it'll be interesting. But I do think that they're a dangerous team. I'm still, you know, it's weird, but like, you know, Miami may not even make the playoffs, but assuming that they get in, like, they're really intriguing as a, as a low. Like, they, they'll be one of the tougher eight seeds we've seen because their record is not reflective of who they've been for the last three months. Now, they got to mm-hmm. get, and again, this is one of those moments where I catch myself, but they've got to get Deion Waiters back. That's our guy. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> But he, you know, he was a really big key to that turnaround for the last couple of months uh, after mm-hmm. they bottomed out. And you know, with him, you know, they've got some scoring punch, and they certainly play hard and they defend. I don't think anybody wants to face Miami in the first round. I don't. I don't think they're an easy out. So that's that's the other one to consider. I'm I'm worried about the Hawks. I'll, I'll, I'm going to come out what? and say it. I'm, have you seen the schedule they've got? <laughs> they can't win a game. They can't get out of their own way the last three months. And now they, the next, next like week they play the Cavs, the Cavs, the Celtics. <laughs> I mean, and these are teams that need to win these games. It's not like either of those teams I think is going to sit, guys. I mean, they both were trying to get that number one seed. So um, I think Atlanta to me is the one who's probably the most likely to, to not make it. Really? I, uh, two teams, let me ask you guys, two teams that – 
strike me as ready to hit the reset button. And I could be wrong. Atlanta and Indy, you think the Pacers or the Hawks, either one of them, if things don't turn out the way they need them to, decide to go ahead and start scrapping the plan and starting over to summer? Well, you know, Atlanta almost did that earlier this season. I mean, they, they seemed right. to be on the verge of it, and then and then they, they reversed course really quickly, got a little panicky. And now, look, if, if, if uh, Lang's Atlanta pessimism turns out to be <laughs> well-founded, um, they may well regret not having blown it up earlier. And look, yeah. you know, Millsap, by all accounts, loves Atlanta, and the, and the Hawks love him. But, you know, he's going to want a huge contract. He's in his 30s. You know, is that the right move this summer? But if you let him walk, then where are you? Who's, who's you know, who's taking that cap room if he leaves? Um, and, and does he want to go? But, it, 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 you know, this does feel like, you know, we're coming to the end point on this little mini era they had um, where, you know, we had this, this, this phenomenal season where they win 60 games with, you know, no true superstars and four guys make the all-star team and everything. Like that was, was it looks like a mirage now. It's been nothing but downhill since. And, and who's, who's stepping into that void for them? And, you know, is, is, uh, you know who, are they, who are they building around? What's the identity right, of this yeah. team moving forward? Because they, you know, swapped out Teague and, and, and let Horford go. And I'm not saying those were necessarily the wrong moves, but how comfortable are you with Schroeder and Dwight as, as your, your cornerstones, as your foundational pieces right now? And is, is Millsap a wise investment at this age? Like, they have some serious questions to grapple with whether they make the playoffs or not, because even if they make it, they're a first round out. And yeah. this, this is not a team. You know, there's two kinds of, of teams at that seventh and eighth spot. We always often talk about like, oh, that's you know one of the worst places to be. It depends on whether your team going up or going down. Like if if you're a team on the rise and you squeak in at seven or eight, and, and you know it's first step toward becoming a, a, a top tier playoff team, great. But this is a team on the decline. This is not yeah. squeaking in for the sake of taking the next step. This is this is uh, you know slipping toward irrelevancy. So it's going to be tough for them. And then the Pacers, obviously, there's a whole other you know can of worms with the Paul George situation and this free agency looming, and things clearly have not worked out there. And so they you know they they got to get a clear read on on just what it will take to keep him happy uh, so that he resigns. Um, two things. Number one, if I ever write an well, if I write a second autobiography, it'll be called Lang's Atlanta Pessimism. Um, <laughs> but, but number two, like the most Hawks thing ever, and I can tell you this from a life of watching the Hawks, would be for them to win like two or three against the Cavs and the Celtics here this last week, and you know, make it into the playoffs, and everybody's like, oh, they're back, they got it figured out, and then they go in and get swept in the first round. <laughs> that's just a life of I watching mean, Atlanta sports teams. And the thing is, like, like, they should be the proverbial team you don't want to face, right? Like, if they make it and Millsap's back and healthy, you should be like, wow, you know, this is a you know, season, you know, playoff team. This is a team that, that you know, should be better than their, what their seeding suggests. But, yeah, I don't get that feeling about them either. I just, I don't, I, you know, I have, I have no faith in, in that team to, uh, to pull itself together and, and, and really play like a, uh, like, a, like a playoff power. They just, they've been so horribly inconsistent. Um, and so that's the challenge for them. Like they got to, you know, who are they now? Um, yeah. And that's that's the question for the summer. Who who has the shame for Atlanta and Indy if they don't make it? Is it is it on Dwight Howard in Atlanta? Is it on Mike Budenholzer? Is it on Dennis Schroeder in Indy? Is it is it on Paul George? You know, for for not being able to drag that crew, you know, where they 
felt like they would be? Is it on Nate McMillan? Who's who are the culprits? You know, who are the guys that, that uh, wear this? I'll take the Hawks on this one. I mean, mm-hmm. well, what first of all, what did you expect them to be? Did you? Did you I mean, they're they're probably going to be about a five hundred team at the end of the season. And I, I mean, did we expect them to be a fifty win team, a fifty five win team? I don't. I didn't. I remember somebody on this podcast saying <laughs> that they were going to be lucky to win forty five games and getting shouted down by people. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I just, I, I don't know, I don't know if there's that much blame to go around. I mean, I think they, they, you know, shout out to Denny Green, they are who we thought they were. I, I just think that they, the other thing is that, you know, probably if you're going to point fingers at someone, I mean, Schroeder's been pretty inconsistent all year long, and and that's probably to be expected with his age. I was watching that NCAA championship game, and that point guard on Oregon, Ennis, has the mm-hmm. gold streak in his hair. And I said that Ennis and Schroeder need to play one on one to uh, determine who gets to keep the gold streak in his hair. And, and someone and someone tweeted back at me and said that by the way that Ennis, the point guard on Oregon, is two years older than Dennis Schroeder. Well, and, yeah, he's been in college like seven years or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but it just made me also remember how young Schroeder is. I mean, I think that you know he, he's competing against these guys and he's still twenty three years old. So, I mean, I think that inconsistency is a big part of that, and that's been a big problem for the Hawks all year. And they and they haven't really from that point guard's position been able to have a lot of stability all season long yeah i mean they, they made a bet right they made a bet that with, yep. with you know two guys two point guards who were both pretty talented they made a bet on the younger one um they made a bet on on you know schroeder and that kind of that swagger and persona that he has about him and so if if he ends up not being able to live up to that then yeah you point the finger at management because you made a bad bet but you know in, yeah. the, in the near term it's on schroeder to live, to live up to the face that they placed in him right um, right. And in Indiana, you know, similar thing. Like Larry Bird made some bad bets. You know, swapping out George Hill for Teague has not proven to be uh, the best of moves. And the Monte Ellis signing, you know, looked at the time like one of those kind of like desperation swings, and, and it's turned out that way. Adding Thaddeus Young, okay, fine, but you gave up a first round pick to do it. They still have an advantage in this regard, in that. Paul George is, you know, a, a stud in his prime, and Miles Turner was a great pick who is, is looking like, a, you know, a future star. And so you've at least got, I think, foundational pieces that you can try to retool around quickly. Um, <clears throat> you got to make better bets, but it, and that's that's their advantage over where Atlanta is right now. Yeah, uh, Howard Beck of Bleacher Report joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. We we talk East. Let's let's kind of flip the script. Go out west. No real intrigue other than at the bottom where the Blazers hold that one-game lead over the Nuggets for the number eight spot. It's, it's who wants to get sacrificed up at the altar of the Warriors to get savaged in the first round. But which team would you rather have in that spot to challenge the Warriors? Uh, a Blazers team with Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum? Or that Nuggets team with with Jokic and and some kind of unheralded guys that that who knows what they might do in the playoffs. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. I mean, I think if you're looking for the most challenging first round series for the Warriors, the, the team the Warriors would would um, less like to face would probably be Portland because McCollum and Lillard, you know, could put up 60, 70 points between them. And that, that team actually does have some playoff experience, you know, knocking off the Clippers uh, when they were hurt last last spring and then obviously experience against the Warriors themselves. So Portland, I think, has you know the, the, the talent, the confidence, the, the, the cohesion 
they present a bigger challenge. And obviously, if, if Nurkic hadn't gone down, I think Portland absolutely would have been the bigger challenge. Uh, Denver, Jokic is, is fantastic. Their backcourt is, you know, kind of all over the place. I mean, there's, but they just have a lot of really interesting players who can all get hot at a given time. They also might none of them get hot. You know, <laughs> Gallinari <laughs> might go. Gallinari might go for 25 or 11. Yeah, Barton and Harris and Chandler and all these guys, you know, and, and Jamal Murray as, as a as a rookie who's who's firmly in you know in that rotation. There's just more, uh, I think, volatility to what the Nuggets are right now, and and a little less uh, of a co- you know uh, of an established identity. So I, I think Portland, you know, to, to I, I hate using even using the word threat because it's the Warriors, but the Portland is is the, the better. Uh, the, the more potent of the two of them. I'd like to see Portland with with a healthy roster. Yeah, um, you know I, that as as good as Nurkic looked the last couple of weeks, and now without him, it's it's tough. Um, out of the other teams out west, is there anything else? I mean, any matchup you think that we might see a surprise in, or is it kind of like Golden State, San Antonio, Houston are going to probably make it through no matter what? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see any major upsets, and you know, whatever happens between the Clippers and Jazz at that four or five, we never consider right. that an upset anyway. The, the the real intrigue comes in the second round. You know, Rockets versus Spurs is a serious clash of styles, and you know, uh, we'll we'll see how far that that you know Rockets offense can take them, or whether the Spurs can slow them down a little bit because the Spurs, I don't know that, that they want to try to to get into a, a scoring race with them. And, you know, the Warriors, whether they're facing the Clippers, which I think we would all love to see just because of the history between those teams. And the Clippers have been mm-hmm. working for years to get back to, to, to another series, to get to face them again. That would be interesting. The Jazz would be interesting because they're new. You know, um, we don't know what this team is capable of yet. They haven't been in the playoffs. And, you know, uh, and they've got, they've got some offseason drama of their own coming, too, with, with Hayward's free agency. Yeah. So uh, who, knows, who knows if this ends up being kind of short-lived. But... That that team, you know, and then both of those teams have have some bigs who could give the Warriors some trouble um, when they're playing small. So there, you'll have that that battle of, of wills versus uh, you know who's who's uh, adapting to whom. But I I think things pretty pretty much go to script, in, you know, in the early part, and uh, and then we'll just see who makes it to who's who's still standing there to face the Warriors in the conference finals. No doubt. Howard Beck, before we let you get out of here, man, and we appreciate you joining us, as always, here on the Hangtime Podcast. If you look back at this season, biggest surprises, the Rockets and the way they played from the start, Russ's triple doubles, or the the complete collapses we've seen, uh, you know, from some of these teams, namely Detroit and, and, and not to the same extent, but Minnesota, neither one of them taking that next step that some people thought they might this year. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just looking at that the other day that, you know, Detroit, you know, Charlotte, this is the thing with when you're those teams in the middle, and this is why we do talk about the treadmill of mediocrity, that, you, you know, these are teams that you think, well, they, you know, they're young and on the rise, and, you know, they, they broke through, got their first winning season in a while, or got their first playoff appearance in a while, and, and you just expect, okay, they'll just be continued growth, and they'll just keep moving up. But it, it, it's rarely do these teams get to follow that kind of linear path, especially if you don't have a true superstar on the roster. And so when you've got, like, you know, I mean, uh, Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond, if that's your core, you might have a feeling <laughs> on, on your 
on, on your upside. Like if that's if those are your your foundational players. Like and they're 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 in for some major changes in the offseason. I mean, I would I won't be shocked if one or both of them is gone. You know, and, and Charlotte they've just never had much else aside from Kemba to really uh, you know build an identity around. In terms of surprises, though, so I'm not that surprised when teams like that slip back again. Uh, mm-hmm. The Rockets are a tremendous surprise. Like people keep, I know we don't want to get into the MVP thing uh, because it's been played out to death, but I, I keep hearing this false narrative that the Thunder have exceeded expectations. Every single preview that I've seen, and I went back and looked at them all, they all had the Thunder winning somewhere between 44 to 47 games and finishing fifth or sixth in the West, which is exactly <laughs> where they are. The Rockets, the Rockets, on the other hand, people were like, they hired Mike D'Antoni. They don't need offense. They need defense. What are they doing? Are Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon going to stay long enough? You know, they lost Dwight Howard. They don't have another star. They're going to be a 500 team again. They're going to be a low. They're the third best team in the West and the third the third best record, I think, in the NBA. So the Rockets, I think, as a, on the team level, are by far the biggest surprise. And I think the Wizards deserve to be mentioned there too. Another 500 yeah. team that, that you know that made a huge step forward. Uh, and, and all credit in, in that one again to, to Scotty Brooks, as, as you know, who I think along with D'Antoni are, are the leaders in the coach of the year race. So I, I think the Rockets, and then with, with Westbrook, it's funny because a lot of people actually said, well, without Durant there, man, that guy might just average a triple double for the season. <laughs> and I, I think people threw it out as kind of a throwaway kind of, you know, it, you know, it could happen, but no one really expects it to happen. And, and I was one who, for the first half of the season, kept saying, he can't sustain it, and boy, was <laughs> I wrong on that. Um, yeah. So that you know, well, on the on the individual level, I think uh, Westbrook, uh, but not uh, throw more in there though. Uh, Giannis, I, you know, you could kind of yeah. maybe see this coming, but not at this level. Right. You know the right. one the one guy who tweeted before the season that, that Russ <laughs> might average a triple double, Austin Rivers. He was 100 percent correct. Austin knows everything, maybe. Mm-hmm. Note, noted basketball wiz, uh, wisdom from Austin Rivers, one of the all-time great NBA analysts. No doubt. Howard Beck, we appreciate it, man. Listen, uh, we'll let you get out of here. Lang's got to get busy on his treadmill to physical mediocrity. So uh, we appreciate you for <laughs> dropping that nugget. And uh, we'll see you down the road in the playoffs, man. We appreciate it as always. <laughs> Anytime, guys. Take care. Thanks, Howard. Appreciate Howard Beck as always rocking with us here on the Hangtime Podcast, but we got to go to another one of our favorites and the man who likes to stump us every week with his brain teasers, John Schumann with the Schumann Stat. Fellas, what's the deal? So what's happening on Monday for the final time in NBA history in your home state, the Palace, the Palace of Auburn Hills, final game. Right. Last game. The Pistons the will Palace. play their final game at the Palace. So here you go. Palace opened in 1988-89. Who are the all-time leading scorers in Palace history? <laughs> How many do we have to come up with? So just start naming names, and I'll, I have the top ten in front of me, but you can. All right. uh, uh, Rip Hamilton. Number two on the list, 7,300 and some odd points. Yeah. Chauncey B- 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 Billups. Number four. Mm-hmm. Um, 5,000 something points. I don't know if he'd be on the list. I don't know if he'd be scoring. What about Grant Hill? Yeah, I was thinking Grant. Grant Hill's number five. Yeah. Well. There's going to be some random people on there, too. Like Jerry Stackhouse? 
Stackhouse, number seven. He has of of the of the players in the top ten. He has the highest scoring average. Of, yeah, uh, really. Uh, there, he has twenty two points per game. He averaged thirty Unless, that one year. Who had um, tenure? Like who played? Let's see who played the longest. Ben Wallace. Yeah, so like you're missing number one and number three. Ben Wallace, no, not on the list. I just thought um, he was there forever. Hold on, let me think. Let me who? Tayshawn Prince. Tayshawn Prince is number three. Yes. Five thousand eight hundred and fifty. That includes a couple. I think a couple games as a as a visitor. So you got Hamilton number two, Tayshawn number three, Billups number four, Grand Hill number five, Stackhouse number seven. Right. Oh, with number uh, one, Lindsey Hunter. Lindsey Hunter is number eight. Shout out to Jackson State, baby. Lindsey Hunter number eight on the list. Wow. Just because of the number of games played. Yeah, right. uh, over four over four hundred games played at the at the palace. Who are we missing that would be number one? This should be an obvious. Who's he? Uh, he um, lasted longer than his championship teammates. I'll tell you that much. Dumars, Dumars, Joe Dumars. Wow, wow. seven thousand wow. four hundred twenty-eight points at the palace in four hundred and thirty games. I would have never guessed that. that uh, and I and I went to the well, that's Dallas because as a they, kid. you know the, the the first year was their first championship season, right right, right? right. And Isaiah didn't last too much longer after that. Isaiah right. Thomas mm-hmm. is number six on the list, but mm-hmm. Dumars did. You know, Dumars bridged the gap between that team and the you know in the Grand Hill uh, year. Yeah. So Dumars number one. Isaiah, like I said, is number six. Number nine is Rodney Stuckey, and number <laughs> ten wow. Rashid Wallace. Rashid, oh. Man, I was hoping he would make the list. Um, <laughs> I wasn't sure if he was there long enough, but, man, that makes my day to know that Sheed is on the list. I love it. All right, so who were the two guys, two players, who never played for the Pistons with the most points at the Palace, including postseason? I'm going to guess Michael Jordan. No. No. Because no. he was the Silver Dome. What about, uh, here's one, LeBron James. LeBron James, number one, 901 career points. The other guy, number two, uh, with 655, is also active for the time being, active player. Does he play for an Eastern Conference team? Right now, no. Hmm. Did most of this. Paul Pierce. I'm sure it's Paul Pierce, correct. Yeah, Um, I'm looking at the list. Otis Thorpe played for the Pistons. Chris Webber, Aaron Baines, Shaquille. Shaq would be number three for a guy who never played for the Pistons. And then Dwayne Wade mm-hmm. right behind him for mm-hmm. uh, guys who never played for the Pistons. With the, And then Vince Carter. So that's your top five. LeBron, <laughs> Paul Pierce, Shaq, Dwayne Wade, Vince Carter. Yeah. Shaq and Wade Lang- had a couple playoff series against them. So Yeah. Obviously Lang- you got, uh, you got a, a – Stumper for shoe. I, I can't wait to hear this one. Well, first, first I want to first I want to give a shout out. If, if by the time this goes up, this might be up on NBA.com, and if it's not, look for it. Uh, we did a little video. I wrote a script. We made a video about the. It's like a farewell to the Palace of Auburn Hills, and uh, Isaiah Thomas did the voiceover for it. Um, cool. It's it's pretty cool. It'll go up at some point today or tomorrow. Um, all right, here's a question. I saw this on Reddit yesterday. Since 1970. Which NBA player over the first 13 years of his career has the most rebounds? Most rebounds over the first 13 years of his career? So it had to be a dude who played since, so since Kareem. Since 70, so Wilt and Bill Russell aren't, aren't right. there. Since Kareem. The Pettit, Pettit, well, Pettit was another guy that got it, grabbed tons of rebounds. 
But Pettit was 58, yeah. Yeah. Um, First 13 years of his career. So it includes Kareem? No, post-Kareem, yeah. Post-Kareem. Tim Duncan. No. Most rebounds. Here's a hint. He's active. Active player. Most rebounds. He's playing in the Eastern Conference. It's been around for 13-plus years. Good grief. You ready? Dwight Howard. No, he hadn't been in the league 13 years. Dwight Howard. Oh, really? Dwight Howard. Wow. Wow. Got it, yeah. Wait a minute. This is Dwight's 13th year, right? Yep. Wow. Okay, yeah. Wow. Put him in the Hall of Fame, baby. (laughs) What? Seriously, Dwight thinks he's going to the Hall of Fame. I saw it. He said it. Speaking of speaking of rebounds, we have a little thing on the site today. Um, I know you guys don't want to talk MVP today, so uh, but I'll, it, uh, it's just a little thing about about uh, free throw rebounds. So basically, I had the uh, the guys, my friends at the at Sport View, look at you know where rebounds come from, whether they come off of. I was I was actually interested in in like sort of. Three-point right. shot rebounds versus two-point shot rebounds. If you can explain triple doubles, because the league is taking more threes and therefore longer rebounds, more rebounds going to guards and that stuff. But right. they also included free throw rebounds in their thing. And so I looked, and Russell Westbrook has 91 defensive rebounds off of missed free throws this season, which is 26 more than any other player in the league. And I think we've seen, like you've seen probably videos of people like showing like Steven Adams just like on a on a free throw just sort of pu- pu- pushing his guy like under the right. baseline so Russ can come in from the third slot or whatever and just grab an uncontested rebound. So he has 91 defensive rebounds uh this season which is 65 more. So he's averaging 1.8 1.2 basically defensive rebounds per game off of missed free throws in that sense. Um last year he was only averaging 0.4 so if you sort of take that extra 0.8 defensive rebounds per game off of those missed free throws because his teammates let him get every missed free throw rebound or close to every missed free throw, his, his rebounding average goes under 10 per game. Right. Are you are you implying a CO conspiracy shoe? Is that what this is? is are you undermining Russ's MVP case? I'm implying a little bit of stat padding. In the uh, in regard to uh, we oh, we oh. Here, comes the, here comes the fun, please. But I will say James Harden not exactly James second among non bigs in free throw rebounds uh, is James Harden. So he's not exactly innocent yeah. in the uh, you know what, in regard you know that to says, that. Uh, you know what that stat says to me is that the Rockets players better get out of the way so James Harden. Can get <laughs> yeah, and I, and I basically looked at it. I looked at like some other point guards and like and. Uh, and, you know, John Wall has two rebounds off of missed free throws, defensive rebounds off of missed free throws. You know, Steph Curry has three. Isaiah Thomas has four. Kyrie Irving has five. So it's like those guys need to tell their bigs, hey, you know, I, I, want, some, I want some of this triple-double action. Get out of the way so I can grab some of these, uh, these free throw rebounds that uh, are, uh, are helping Russ average his uh, triple-double. I don't have a problem with it. Royce Young tweeted something this morning. I think it was this morning. You know, that Westbrook ended up last night one rebound short, right, of a triple-double. Um, and he said that I think there was 12 games this season where he finished one either assist or rebound off of a triple-double. I was thinking, what if he what if he made, like, 10 of those, and all of a sudden he's flirting with, like, 55 triple-doubles or something, <laughs> you know, ridiculous on the season. So. It would be incredible. 
I, you know, I've made my argument before. But my other question that I, I was thinking about yesterday, and it maybe became less of a question after last night's game in Boston, was which do you think is more likely to happen? The Cavs don't make the finals or the Warriors don't win the championship? Which is more likely to happen? Yeah. That the Warriors don't win the championship. The Warriors don't win the championship, yeah. I have a hard time seeing the Cavs not making the final. I, I agree with that, but I also have a I, I think I have a harder time seeing the Warriors not winning the championship. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I, 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 I sort of I, maybe before last night. Last night maybe changed my mind a little bit because the, really? the Cavs, Cavs seem to have found a, a, the, the switch in boss in the uh, in the TD Garden. Somehow it was hiding from them everywhere else, but they found the switch. Interesting. But like it's more about like my confidence in the Warriors winning than in like the Wizards. Celtics or Raptors, Raptors yeah. Cavs. Like I just feel like the Warriors are just so so good that I have a hard time seeing them lose a series. Sue, we appreciate it. All right, fellas. Thanks, John. I do. Thanks, man. Later. You mentioned Kevin Durant, Lang. I'm going to tell him myself here. I was at Clippers practice the other day, and uh, I walked into the practice facility, and I heard a voice, and I was like, "Man, I know that voice." It was KG working with some of the Clippers' big men and, and other players before they really cranked their practice up. And I'm telling you, he was in a lather like we used to see him in pregame warm-ups when he was playing. Nonstop chatter, you know, hyping everybody up, going through the drills with him. I know he's retired, and I know he's got Area 21 and all this other stuff, but part of me feels like KG left some, some meat on the bone in his career. Not that he was going to go out and be – the KG of yesteryear and, and be that great player he was early script. But you're right. I think you and Shu both made the point. I think they miss what he was given Carl Anthony Towns and those young guys in Minnesota big time this year. I agree. And I, I think with KG, I mean, he, I think he only knows one way. Yeah. There's no, you can't, it's either on or off. No you, chill. Yeah. You can't put it on five and just kind of coast. If, if he's on the court, he's going to be, you know, a maniac like he normally is. And uh, there's no way to, to slow that down, kind of like the way I've been in bragging rights. Oh my gosh! All season long, it's time for bragging rights as the guys put their rep on the line. Oh my gosh! Do we have to do this part of the show seriously? Can we just skip this and get out of here? You have chance to move back in first. <laughs> There's a week left. Yeah. The attitude of defeat is not going to win it for you. <laughs> I'm like a lot of teams that are ready to pack it up with four or five games <laughs> left and get to vacation. Start resting picks. <laughs> so yeah, last week Lang went 2-1, and one, Seku 1-2. One and two. Lang has a one-game lead over Seku with one, game, one week to go, three games. Unbelievable. All on the line. We're going to start <sighs> this week Saturday night on League Pass, Jazz at Blazers. I'll take Portland. Yeah, I'm taking Portland. They need it. They got to have that game. Must win. And you need to make up some ground here, so you may want to pick different teams on the next two. Uh, so the second game is Rockets versus Clippers on Monday night on TNT. Wait a minute. Rockets at Clippers? Yes. Oh, yeah. Give me give me the Clippers. Same. No, come on, man. Give me the – kill them. I want, I want the Clippers. <laughs> So I think we might be in store for a tie next week <laughs> based on you guys staying together on these first two. Last game, Hornets at Hawks, Tuesday night. Oh, give me the ATL. Hornets. No question. Give me the Hornets. It's going to come down to that. Yes. It will. And and we're going to see if you, your Hawks blow it 
for you and or for me. We're going to find out. I was thinking, you remember last year, like the last night of the season, it came down to all those games and they ended up with a three-way tie in the uh, Yeah, it's ridiculous. Everybody had like a 40, what, they had 49 wins or whatever it was, everybody. Yeah, That's going to happen this year, too. There's going to be like a four-way tie in the bottom of the East or something like that. Yeah, good grief. I, I need Kimba to uh, Harlem shake me back into uh, the right spot in bragging rights. So I gotta, I'll, I'll place that call. We're going to put some ATL trap music on you and trap you in the pocket. <laughs> <of standards. laughs> oh, man. Um, listen, make sure you subscribe on iTunes. Be sure to leave a glowing review. New episodes every Thursday this season. And instead of our normal, uh, you know, getaway, we're going to leave you with a look back at Russell Westbrook's record-tying 41st triple-double on Tuesday. Now, shout-out to Oscar Robertson. You are getting caught, my man. Later. Should be the MVP. Let's go, Russ. Triple-double tonight. It's an honor to watch a guy like this play. Something you'll tell your grandkids about someday. It's been incredible just seeing him go out and put up these numbers that you didn't really think were conceivable. It's an NBA record five straight 30-point triple-double. 40 on the season, one shy of tying Oscar Robertson for most in a single season. Westbrook will heave and hit. The Thunder 31-9 and this season when he has a triple-double. Robertson with Westbrook to the rim. Here he is. He turns and faces like that. Good luck trying to cut him off. Westbrook pulls. You bet. Here comes Westbrook. Like a blur, leaves it for Gibson. Assist number nine for Russell Westbrook. Middleton can't finish. Rebound number 10 for Westbrook. Oh, great defensive possession. Will he get the assist? Right now, I'm going to just embrace this moment. Honestly, man, I think uh, moments like this, you like to cherish and something I can, you know, tell my new son, uh, <laughs> you know, as he gets older. Just be mentioned in a conversation with Oscar Robinson and the different things he did for the game of basketball to allow me to play the game today. It's something that I definitely won't never forget, and I'm just truly honored to do it here, especially in Oklahoma City. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast and be sure to subscribe on iTunes for a new episode every single Thursday this season. And as always, people, remember, say Kuna Matata.